Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a great day. Today, I am talking to Danielle Putro, and she is a local psychiatric nurse practitioner that I invited to my show because I've had many, many, many questions about medications as far as when should you medicate and a lot of questions around medicating in general. So I invited her over and we had a good talk. I did get a lot of questions from you guys about what you wanted me to ask her. And to be honest, we just could not cover all of that. And so I decided we'll just keep this simple. We'll talk about some very basic things. And then I might have a new interview with another psychiatric nurse practitioner or another psychiatrist in the future. And we'll answer some more of those questions moving forward. To be honest, I'm not really feeling the whole interview thing in general, not this interview, but in general, I do enjoy just talking to you directly. And so I'm not sure how often I'm going to be doing interviews. I do have one more scheduled for next week. I'm having the director of Unstuck, a kid's OCD movie, come on, and she's going to talk about her experiences with uh, having a daughter on the spectrum who has OCD. And I thought that would be an interesting topic to cover as far as having those comorbid diagnoses. But I think moving forward after that, it will just be all me. But down the road, I will bring in somebody and we'll talk about medication again, because I'm not a psychiatrist and it's not my thing, but it impacts all of us, including my own kids. So today when I talked to Danielle, we covered what to look for as far as starting your kids on medication. We talk about activation because you guys wanted to talk about that. We talk about side effects because everybody wanted to talk about that. And we talk about long-term impact and how to get kids off of medication. So that was enough in and of itself. And I do want to say that this is not medical advice. So please, none of my podcast episodes are, but with this topic, it's even more important that I clarify that. And this is purely psychoeducational. So this is just for your information. If you really have a question around medication, please go confer with your own local mental health professional. So there, said that. Also, on my own disclaimer, that is not legal, is she's going to say a lot of things that may not be your situation. So she talks about um, activation. And I know just from my private Facebook group that not all of you are going to experience activation in the way that she describes, and that's okay. She also talks about side effects. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you have experienced side effects that she's going to say she hasn't seen. So we all have different experiences and she's talking from her own perspective in her own practice. She's been a psychiatric nurse practitioner for over 18 years and she only treats children and young adults. So she has a lot of great experience and she's talking about her own experience. But I know that some of us have situations that aren't common, but there still are situations and they still seem really real because we did talk about how to get kids to take medication. And she did talk about how it's pretty easy to get little kids to take medication. And that wasn't my situation. And so it's going to be different for each person. So before I get a zillion Uh, messages on Facebook, like that's not true for me. I know it's not going to be true for everybody and that's okay. This is just for your information. So 
I hope you're having a wonderful time listening to my podcast. And if you are, please don't forget to leave a review or hit a star because that feedback is really important, not only for me, but for the people that are listening to the show. So without further ado, let's talk to Danielle. Danielle, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really helpful because um, I get a lot of medication questions and I think it would be better coming from somebody who does this all the time and is an expert in this to answer some of those parenting questions about medication. I had a list of questions that a lot of parents wanted to know. So I'm going to pretty much go through those questions that everybody wanted. So I thought I would just stick with the basic ones so we can at least delve into those. I guess the first question that any parent would ever want to know is how do they know when it's a good idea to maybe even look into medicating their child for anxiety or OCD? Um, usually I look at what, how much they're suffering. I generally want my patients to be seeing a therapist first. A lot of times if I'm the first person who's seeing them, I'll, you know, do the, the hour-long evaluation, get kind of a feel for where things are at, and then I'll recommend that they see a therapist for three or four visits first. And then if they're not making sufficient progress, if they don't feel like they're getting kind of getting anywhere after those three or four visits, then come on back and then we'll kind of look at the possibility of medication. Certainly if somebody is really not doing well, if we have a kid who just flat out isn't going to school, isn't functioning, is just miserable, you know, all the time, then I would jump into medication faster on those kids. Okay. So if they're just like, their basic life skills are just crumbling. Right. They're just really not able to really do any of the normal stuff that kids do. Okay. So with medications, what medications tend to tend to help the most for anxiety and OCD? I usually go with the SSRIs first. Those are the meds that most people have heard of, the Prozac, the Zoloft. Those are the meds that have the best research in OCD. They're the gold standard for OCD in both um, adults and kids. And, you know, both Prozac and Zoloft have been around since the early 90s. So we have a long history. They've been using children about that long. I tend to use Prozac more when it's just really pure OCD because that does tend to be the strongest med I found, at least of the modern medications. When it comes to just regular anxiety, that's not necessarily OCD, like separation anxiety or worry wart, generalized anxiety. I usually go with Zoloft first. I find that the Zoloft just tends to be better for those non-OCD kind of anxieties. Okay. And so with the dosages for anxiety versus OCD, do you find they have to go higher for the OCD? Usually, usually yes. I mean, everything is individual. I can't make any firm statements on this because everybody is so different. But generally, take Zola, for example. If I'm treating panic disorder, and this is the adult dosing, if I'm treating panic disorder in an adult, I'm usually looking at about 25 milligrams to 50. If I'm treating like generalized anxiety, we're usually looking at like 50 to 100 milligrams. Depression, most people end up at 100 to 150. And for OCD, we're often looking at 200 or 300 milligrams. The child dosing, some kids end up that much. I do generally start low. For most of my children who are like not teenagers, I usually start with 25 milligrams and cut that in half. I go up really slow and easy on kids 
And then I, I will go up further, but, at, you know, after they've been on it and it's not really helpful enough, but they're not having any adverse reactions. I kind of tailor the dosage to how the person is doing, not necessarily sticking to the guidelines. But the numbers I just rattled off is kind of where most people end up. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. What, what side effects typically are the most common? Well, as a Zoloft, we're usually looking at nausea and diarrhea. It tends to be one of the more nausea-provoking of the antidepressants because these meds, all of the meds in that category, work mostly on serotonin. And there's two places in our body where we have the most serotonin receptors, our brain and our gut. So antidepressants in general, because they work on serotonin, tend to cause more nausea than the average medication. But Zoloft is kind of one of the, the worst for that. Most of you, I generally recommend they start it with dinner because for most of my kiddos and adults, that's kind of their biggest meal of the day. And then that way they have food in their stomach. And then if they need to, they can lay around on the couch a little bit. For most people, they might get a little bit of nausea in the beginning, but it tends to be transient, which means it kind of comes up from pill number one or two, and then it goes away after a couple of days. Some people it doesn't, and then then we talk about that, you know, after they've been on it. Some people report like looser stools, not full out diarrhea, I'm stuck at home kind of stuff, but they'll notice a change. And again, that's usually transient too. Prozac, the most common side effect is headaches. But some people, these meds make them tired. Some people, these meds make them jittery and cause insomnia. Sometimes there's dizziness. Sometimes there's headache. Those are generally the most common. Children are more susceptible to serotonin can reduce platelets, which can increase bruising. And kind of like if you get a cut, how long it takes for that cut to kind of, you know, scab over. And so little children, kind of early elementary school, my five, six, seven-year-olds, they are more prone to like excessive bruising or easy bleeding. Okay. So if, if they're having like upset stomach with Zoloft, then would you switch them to a different SSRI or would you? Generally, switch? it depends. We try to manage symptoms first because if we change meds every time someone has a side effect, we'll very quickly run out of medications to try. So I find that starting low and going up slowly tends to make, you know, make the side effect as kind of a minor annoyance as opposed to a big deal. So going up kind of conservatively, taking it with food, maybe adjusting the time of day. Some people end up splitting it, like they take half in the morning, half with dinner. So that way um, you're getting kind of two smaller kind of amounts as opposed to the whole thing at one time. That usually fixes the problem. I don't usually stop have to stop it because of nausea. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So some parents are talking about activation. What does that look like? And does that ever end? It depends on the kiddo. Uh, some people do get more activated, which means that they're more kind of bouncy, hyper, not full out mania is not what we're talking about here in like bipolar disorder. But some kids, I see this more in Zoloft and Prozac, start getting kind of hyper, like they have ADHD. That usually pops in a couple of weeks after they start it. And then it kind of is a, it doesn't necessarily go away. For some people, it it kind of pops up and then it goes away. For other people, it pops up, but then it just kind of gets better, kind of slowly over a span of a couple of weeks. And it it is just more like they're just more chatty. They have more trouble sitting still. They just kind of look like a mildly ADHD kid. And sometimes that's hard to tell what that is. 
For some kids, they may have been so overcome by anxiety in class of getting in trouble or whatever that we didn't really see their true personality so much in school. So then once you reduce the anxiety, they just feel more like themselves. Just like any kid is more likely to be more active and hyper a month in the school as opposed to the first day of school. Because as our anxiety lessens, we just tend to, you know, kind of be ourselves more. I, you know, that happens sometimes. I wouldn't say it happens a lot. Rarely, these medications can bring out a manic reaction. You have a child who's really kind of bipolar under the surface. They have the manias and the depressions, but the depression just kind of surfaced first. And the mania would have come later if they hadn't taken the medication. That's relatively rare. That's why it's a good idea to have the meds prescribed by someone who knows what they're doing. The average pediatrician probably doesn't know the difference between activation, a child with ADHD versus this is a beginning manic kind of episode. But, you know, in my 18 years of experience, usually we can kind of piece that out pretty quickly. And if it's bothersome, we reduce the dosage or we change the med. Again, with any side effect, no medication is side effect free generally. So it's always a question, is the good of this medicine worth the bad? And that's a parental decision. I can tell you what's common. I can tell you the pros and cons. But, you know, the parent has to decide, is the good of this medicine worth the bad that we're seeing? Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point, too, that that it's good to go to a mental health professional. You know, I think that we do have pediatricians that Mm -hmm. feel comfortable prescribing. but I do feel like when you're working with kids that it is good to just go to the psychiatrist or the psychiatric mm-hmm. practitioner and, and have that, that knowledge so that if you do have side effects or activation, they're, they're not confused and they, you've seen it all the time. So you know exactly what to look for, which mm-hmm. I think for parents, because I think a lot of times parents will go to their pediatrician mm-hmm. and say, ah, you know, a little bit of Zoloft, I could prescribe that. And, um, I don't, I, I think that it's better to just go to somebody in the mental health world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did have another question. This comes up a lot too. And I actually see this a lot in my practice where kids have comorbid conditions with ADHD and anxiety or OCD. And so they're mm-hmm. stimulant. And then all of a sudden, all of their OCD and anxiety symptoms are like, whoosh, go way up. Yeah. What, yeah. what's a good medication if you have both issues equally? Um, Stratera sometimes is used. Stratera is a non-stimulant that helps ADHD. It doesn't tend to be as helpful as a stimulant. Stimulants are still by far first line for ADHD. I would say Stratera helps about maybe half my patients with ADHD and the other half don't get much improvement from it, but it is less likely to worsen anxiety or OCD. So if you don't have really bad ADHD, and you can kind of take the time, then Stratera might be a good first line. Stratera does take a couple of months to really kind of kick in, whereas stimulants help immediately. And then Stratera takes a little while to get out of the system. So I do usually go for stimulants first, but I'll use Stratera if there's a big concern. I would say most of my patients who have both issues end up two medications, one for each issue. You kind of get the chicken versus the egg thing with ADHD and anxiety. When people are highly anxious, they don't focus well. Nobody does. If you just found out your parent is diagnosed with cancer, you don't really hear anything else the doctor says. But on the other hand, when people have ADHD, especially the inattentive type where you don't really see the hyperactivity, impulsivity, 
these tend to be a lot of girls because they're kind of that quiet ADHD. They're the quiet kind of daydreamers. And so ADHD might not be picked up on, but the kids end up kind of developing anxiety from it because they're kind of, they're always in trouble. They're, you know, they try hard in school, but their grades aren't good, or they just feel like they're just not good enough or they're not smart. Or um, they're always losing stuff. They're always forgetting stuff. And people are kind of always mad at them about that stuff. And so sometimes, especially girls with that inattentive type of ADHD, develop an anxiety disorder, but it's secondary too. If you treat the ADHD, the anxiety just kind of goes away with the ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so um, part of my, my diagnostic evaluation is trying to figure out, do we have a chicken or the egg thing? Do we have anxiety looking like it's ADHD? Do we have ADHD that the kid developed anxiety? Or do we have two separate issues that need separate treatment? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What about 10X? Do you ever give 10X for anxiety and ADHD? I do. You know, the majority of the patients on anxiety are not going to improve significantly on 10X or it's a once-a-day alternative in TUNIF. It is not approved for anxiety disorders. It's used off-label because it can provide some benefit, but it's not, it's not going to replace Zoloft or the other SSRIs for anxiety. It's not that strong for it. And 10X and Intuniv are better at helping hyperactivity and impulsivity. They're less helpful for the focusing, for the easily distracted, for the difficulty paying attention. They don't help those symptoms as well. So usually if I'm going to use 10X or Intuniv for ADHD, it's going to be in, a, in addition to a stimulant that isn't quite helpful enough or because of side effects, we can't push the dosage. Or it's in a really little kid, or we're not as concerned about focusing. We just want them sitting in circle time and not impulsively running out in front of traffic and that kind of thing. It is something to try if a child has anxiety and ADHD, but I wouldn't say it's hugely effective in the majority of kids. Okay. So what if you have a child who's having a hard time accepting taking medication and is really fighting the parent? Do you have any suggestions on how parents can get kids to take medication? I usually kind of rely on myself just talking to the kid about kind of what's bothering them. You know, my evaluation is equally with the child and the parent. And so I try to build that rapport with the child. So they, you know, hopefully, you know, have a good impression of me. They think that, you know, they know that I care about what they're dealing with, that I've listened to them. Um, and so I try to tie it to their concern, whatever it was during the evaluation that they kind of brought up as bothering them, I'll kind of tie the medication as helping that. And then, you know, sometimes we elicit the therapist's help um, because therapists spend more time with the patients than I do. I usually see that more of an issue with young teenagers. People in the throes of puberty tend to have more, most small children have no problem with taking medication that their parents want them to take. And these meds are available in liquids if we have to go there, if the child can't swallow pills. But like Zoloft pills are so small. They're smaller than an M&M. They're just so tiny, especially when we're starting with the smallest dose they make and we're cutting it in half. Usually swallowing is not an issue, but they are available in liquids. Liquids are just messier and you got to measure them out and they're kind of a little more annoying to dispense. But that's kind of usually how I go with that. And I'll talk to the kid. I, I, Personally, the way I do things is every follow-up appointment, I talk to the child first. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? You know, is anything bothering you? How's school? What do you think of the medicine? Is there anything you don't like about the medicine? Does it ever make you feel weird or bad in any way? I talk to the child and ask them those questions first 
before I actually address the parents. So that way I feel like I get kind of a peer review of if anything's bothering the child. I'm giving them every opportunity to speak up and let me know if they have an issue with the medication. Yeah, and I like that. And I think, you know, maybe that's good for parents to know if, if their child is not connecting with the psychiatrist or the psychiatric nurse practitioner to find someone who does do that and takes the time to connect and mm-hmm. that rapport so that the child has some buy-in directly from the provider. So that could, that could help instead of the parent kind of just forcing it. Right. And even if the child isn't ready for medicine, I do get some kids who just, just don't want to take it. And then at that point, I generally don't push the issue. If, you know, if, I, if they're not ready for medications or I'm not going to prescribe medication, I feel the most important thing I can do is just to kind of establish that rapport so they know I'm one of the good guys. So if yeah. they change their mind in six months or a year, they don't have a negative experience with me or people like me so that they feel comfortable going back. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another big question that I was getting from a lot of people was about coming off of medication. So there were concerns about long-term impact, which I don't know if we even really know much about that, and then also how to get kids off of it. Nothing has really dramatically shown up as a long-term impact. You know, like I said in the beginning, these meds have been around since the early 90s. I think Prozac came out in 1990. Zoloft was a year or two behind that. And they were revolutionary in the sense that all the antidepressants prior to these meds had potential side effects. They were more dangerous if you took too many. You needed to get EKGs and blood work and all of that stuff. So these meds were a huge step up from the older meds in terms of the tolerability and the safety. And they were given to children pretty quickly. I worked as a um, RN in hospital, inpatient hospital units in children's psychiatry from 94 to 2000. So these meds were in wild use back then. So nothing has really shown up. It's not to say there isn't um, a potential out there that we just haven't uncovered. There's some concerns. Is there a higher risk of osteoporosis? You know, that was a concern a couple of years ago, and I haven't really seen anything more on that. Um, It's more of kind of the current. You know, some kids just get mood issues on the meds or they get a side effect that they can't tolerate. But in terms of something building up over time, I haven't really seen it. They don't affect the liver. So there's not like we have to get blood draws on them every year to make sure it's not hurting their liver or any other thing. There's really no monitoring that goes in with these medications. It's all basically what we see and what the reaction is in front of us. In terms of getting kids off the medicine, I usually keep kids on meds for about nine months to a year because they don't cure. It, they just kind of hide the symptoms. I tell people it's kind of like if you have strep throat, these medications are kind of like the throat lozenge or the Tylenol to kind of hide the symptoms of the sore throat. Therapy is the antibiotics that get rid of the strep in the first place. And so if you take the kids off meds too quickly, then the symptoms are just likely to come back. So usually once we decide that the symptoms are severe enough that we need to go to medication, we continue them on the meds for like nine to 12 months. I usually kind of go from when people are seeing me like every three months and they really don't have much support. Hey, you want to try maybe cutting the pills in half and seeing how, you know, your child does? I often find that I'm ready to do that a visit or two before the parents and the child are. They remember how bad things used to be and they're not really, you know, super ready to go there. 
But then that's what we do is we cut the pills in half for like two or three months and we just kind of see how they do. Do you notice if the anxiety comes back, we go back up. If they do okay on the half dosage, then we start entertaining. Should we bring it down another notch? Should we kind of go from there? How slowly we get them off medicine kind of depends on how long they were on it, how severe the symptoms were in the past, how much of a family history for anxiety. If we got a kiddo who has tons of family members with anxiety, they're more likely to need medicine kind of more, you know, long term than a child who doesn't have that family history. One of the reasons I like Prozac and Zoloft is there really usually isn't a withdrawal. If you miss a dosage, if you go out of town or the child sleeps over at a friend's house and they miss it, most people don't get a withdrawal from these medications. In fact, Prozac, it's almost unheard of. Prozac lingers so long in the body that there really isn't a withdrawal from stopping it. Zoloft can affect some people if they miss a dosage or especially two, but the majority of children don't have a withdrawal from it. And if they do, it's like mildly uncomfortable. It's not dangerous or anything, but some people complain of dizziness or just kind of that vague sense you're coming down with the flu or a headache or more irritable. Occasionally, I hear like sparks in the brain. That's more common on meds that tend to cause more withdrawal, Paxil, Effexor, Cymbalta. Those medications tend to cause more withdrawal symptoms if you miss a dosage. And so I don't usually use those first. I usually try other meds before I try those because almost everybody is going to miss pills here and there. That's good for parents to know. So like, so basically like if they've been doing really well for a year, they've been in therapy, they're, de they're developing some skills and then, you know, their check-ins are, are like really non-eventful. They're doing fine. Then you slowly kind of wean them off and see how they uh -huh. sometimes yep. I think that these medications are are addictive because I'll I'll get comments and questions like, you know, are they going to be able to get off of it or are they going to get like, mm -hmm. kind of like an addiction question? Right, okay. they're not addictive. They're not a controlled substance by the DEA. And only way in which people say I'm dependent on it is because whenever they try to lower the dosage, the anxiety comes back then they would, you know, be dependent on it just like someone with allergies would be dependent on their Claritin. They're not addicted to their Claritin, but they just feel better if they take Claritin for their allergies. And it's the same kind of idea here. Yeah. And I think that's, that goes back to your point that it's good for parents to realize that that's the time to build skills. Like that's, it's kind of like the training wheel. Right. Like that's when you get into therapy and you build skills so that you can eventually go off the medication. And so they, they have that. Right. Uh, permanently there. And a lot of times, um, in that, it, kind of back to the beginning of your question, one of the big reasons I would put kiddos on medication or adults is because their therapist kind of feels like, I just don't feel like I can get kind of any further. This person, you know, knows what they're supposed to be doing. They, they can verbalize to me the coping skills, but their anxiety is so overwhelming that they can't really put in play the stuff that we're working on in therapy. And so that's a big piece of why people take medications is to reduce their anxiety enough to be able to benefit from the therapy. Yeah. And that's, that is definitely when I send people away because I am not making progress. And then a lot of times kids will come back after even a small dose of medication and it's like a different kid. You know, they're just, mm -hmm. they're not overwhelmed. Their anxiety, their OCD is not as acute. And then they are completely open to doing exposures or any kind of coping mechanism that I'm throwing their way. So mm -hmm. it's a good, it's a good thing to do together.
trying to think if there's anything else maybe parents could know. Is there anything that, that you would want to say to parents who are considering medication or concerned about medication? Um, not really. I mean, just, I, I wouldn't be afraid of a psyche valve. I know um, sometimes parents feel like that's a pretty dramatic step to do and it's kind of scary. Um, my first appointment, I don't prescribe medications. I want to get a really good foundation on who the kid is and what's going on. I reach out to the therapist. I get their opinion before I start a child on medication if they have a therapist. Or like I said, unless they're severe, I ask them to get a therapist and then check back up with me. There's no obligation to put your child on meds just if you have the evaluation. In fact, I won't prescribe it the first visit. Sometimes parents are kind of disappointed in that because by the time they get to me, they've kind of tried a whole bunch of different things and they're kind of, you know, feeling kind of desperate. We need to do something. But I don't feel like when we're like, oh my God, we got to do something, you know, is really the, the best decision making. I still want to get a good, thorough, really figure out who the kid is. What's their personality? What's the family situation like? Have we tried enough of the non-medication things first? So parents are not under no obligation. Even if I'm like, okay, well, you know, after meeting with you, I kind of have diagnosed your child with this. And I think these medic this medicine might be helpful. It's parents' decision. My job is not to tell you what to do with your child medication-wise. My job is to make the diagnosis if there is one um, and then let you know the pros and cons of different medication approaches or non-medication approaches, answer your questions about it, but you as the parent decide what's best for your child. Yeah, and I think that's, that's good that people can go get a psyche valve and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily leaving with a script. You know, that just to get that information... And to weigh up their options. Is yeah. And I mean, even if you go to a psychiatrist who's quick to write a script, you know, you're the parent and you can just say, I'm just, I just want to get all my information. Absolutely. What to do with that. Absolutely. Parent, parents or the patients are in charge. Obviously, as the kiddo gets older, they have more of a decision making in this. But yeah, absolutely. No, no obligation to, to do it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all really good information. I really appreciate you coming on and, and helping kind of explain things in a, in a clearer way than I could. So I really, no problem. all right. Thanks so much. Well, I hope you found that interview helpful. There were a lot of questions that I didn't get to that many of you wanted me to ask. And so we'll definitely have a follow-up um, and we'll do another podcast on psychotropic medication and medications in general in the future. So I hope that you're enjoying my podcast in general. If you are, don't forget to give a star on iTunes under the name of the podcast or our stars, and you can just click one to give feedback. Or if you're enjoying my podcast and you want to write about how it's helping you, you can leave a comment and I much appreciate that. So I hope you find a sparkle in everything you do. And until next time, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.